So let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we want to welcome. If you notice, there's some people running around here with these black biker clothes on today. Those are members of a fantastic ministry here in Colorado Springs. It's actually national. I don't think it's international. It's called the Black Sheep Ministry. Two of our members are part of that. And so we welcome you. We've got a lot of folks. It's good to have guys filling the chairs. Turn to John chapter 4. of Jesus. And to follow Jesus means basically it's not that complicated to observe the life and teaching of Jesus and to, to reproduce that in your own life, to emulate what you see in the life and teaching of Jesus in, your, in our own lives. And so what do we do as followers of Jesus? We look to him. And so we turn here to John chapter 4 this morning and we find a, a snapshot of Jesus' life and teaching and we learn from the master the art of the making of a disciple because church, that's our mission. That's what we have been called to do and that's what this church needs to be actually strengthened in. But here's what happens. As it, it always happens when you come before the presence of Christ. It happens in this particular story that whenever you come face to face with God in Christ, you, kind of, you, you come face to face with yourself. You see in contrast to him and in his incredible goodness and love, you see your shortcomings, your failures. You should see areas in which you need to change. And so that happened to me with this story. And I want to share with you how this story helped me to discover, you know, Eddie, you've still got so many things in your life that you need to work on. Last October, I went with, with Stephen and Deborah Smith. As I shared with you, we went to the Lakota Reservation to reach out to minister and to care for and to show love to the, the Native American Indians who live there on the reservation. And on my second day there, I, I met this guy. His name was Bill. And that's not really his name. That's just the name I'm going to use for, for telling this story. When I met Bill, my, my heart went out to him because he lived in a tent with his wife. And that was it. Like that's all that he has, all that he has, he lived in this tent with his wife. And so kind of think, man, you know what? I, I can't just change this whole reservation, reach out to everybody, but I'm going to really invest and devote a lot of time into Bill and his life. So the next day, Stephen and Deborah asked me if I would take their truck and drive to some town about 30 or 40 miles away to pick up some supplies. And so I asked Bill, I said, would you come with me? He said, sure. And so we had a, an incredible time of, of talking and sharing our lives with, together. And we got to the town and we came back. And it was, it was quite clear to me that, um, that Bill was open. He was receptive to me sharing more with him about my life and about my faith and about Christ. And so we made plans to, to get back together again to, to study the Bible and to talk more about faith. And then, then Bill left. And later on that afternoon, one of the residents of the reservation came up to me and, and she wanted to tell me more about who Bill was because I didn't know. She said, you need to know that that woman that he sleeps with or lives with in that tent he told you that's his wife that's not his wife Eddie 
Actually, his wife lives in another town about 20 miles away with his children, and they actually have a house he inherited from his mother. The thing is that Bill's an alcoholic, and so Bill likes to leave there and come into Eagle Butte because that's where the alcohol is sold, and, and he kind of gets drunk and hangs out, and while he's away from his wife and children, he's with his girlfriend in the tent getting drunk, all the while his wife and kids are somewhere else. And then I later discovered that Bill also has, I'm not even sure, divorced yet, another wife, I guess you would call her a wife, with children in Arizona. And so I started thinking, man, man, what a, he's playing me. He's not being honest with me. He's not really interested in, in really talking about faith and Christ. And so I, I decided to pull away from getting together again with Bill. Which is the opposite of what Jesus does in this story. It's just what happens when you read the Bible. You say, oh man, I messed up. And I can imagine in John 4, we've already read the whole section here that we're looking at. Today. We read it last week. I can imagine some people from this town of Sychar knowing who this woman is, the, what we're calling the not so good. We know all about the good Samaritan, but this is the not so good Samaritan. People who knew who she was, and it must have been clear. And seeing that Jesus was talking to her and, and knowing likely that Jesus was something of a rabbi, I can imagine them feeling a little bit obliged. We need to let him know who she really is. Jesus, you, you, <laughs> you don't really need to be talking to this woman. She's, um, she's, she's bad. I mean, loose. I mean, like, she's, she's immoral. She, like, she has just gone from one guy to the other to the other, and now she's, like, with another guy. And it's not her husband, okay? You, you, you're wasting your time here. Don't believe anything she tells you. She's just playing you. But, you know, you know the story, maybe. Jesus knew all that, right? That's why he was there. Do you know the story where it's in the book of Luke where something similar like that happens where, where there's this bad woman, loose immoral woman, and she's right there with Jesus and the religious stuck-up snobs were sitting there looking at her going, does he know who she is? Literally, it says, if he was really a prophet, which means he must not be, if he was really a prophet, he would have nothing to do with this woman, for he would know what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. And he knew, and that's what drew him to her. That's what drew him to this not-so-good Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. What, what drew me away from Bill is what drew Jesus to people like Bill. And you see, that's because, and we talked about this last week, that's because, and I want it, I want his eyes, I want his heart. That's because Jesus saw people with his eyes and with his heart. And he saw this Samaritan woman in two ways. He saw her not as an issue to speak out against. But he saw her as an individual to speak into. 
And he saw beyond the rough exterior of her sin into the interior of the thirst of his heart. That was last week. This week, I really want us to notice that it was more than what he saw on the inside. It was more than what he felt on the inside. But his outreach and care for this woman was a compassion that is expressed in caring for her on the outside. And that's so important because I read about and I hear a lot of people, many of them who are followers of Jesus, there's a lot of concern and a lot of feeling about the issues of the, we talked a lot about this last week, the issues of the day of hurting people, concern about people, um, about abortion, one side or the other, talks about immigration and poverty, racism, gender inequality, financial issues, a lot of talk and discussion about concerns of sexuality, whether it be heterosexuality or homosexuality or or concerns over the issue of the transgender discussion. And I just want to ask, does all of the concern of our hearts expressed by our written and our outspoken words, does it transfer into actually caring for the individuals represented by these issues? by bringing the message and the hope and the compassion of Jesus to them. If it doesn't, then we're not following the Jesus we see here in Scripture, and that's what we're called to do. And so we look to John chapter 4, and we learn from the Master the art of the making of a disciple. We learn two things. We learn here's what to do, and then here's how to do it. He makes it really easy for us. And what we see here is what I would entitle something, something along the lines of um, conversational evangelism. What do you do? You have a conversation. And you might be thinking, like, that's it? We're talking about transforming lives, changing people's lives, bringing faith, the making of a disciple, and it's just through having a conversation? Yeah? Listen, do not underestimate the power of words. We're going to see this next week. It's really, Jesus is going to, he's going to look back and say, let me talk to you guys about what just happened. And, and he's going to say, it's like sowing seed. You look at a monster oak tree and you go, how in the world do you make one of those monster oak trees? It starts out with just a little seed. And then all of a sudden, the laws that God has put into place in nature and seed began to cause a miraculous growth in that seed. It's just a small seed. It's just your words. How did God create the world? Words. Oh, they were powerful, weren't they? How did Jesus raise, how do you raise someone from the dead? He spoke. So so we've got to see this. There's something powerful about the words that we speak. Why? Because there's two things at work that are powerful. We we looked at this last week. We as believers of Jesus, it says it here in John 4, we we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the living power of the Holy Spirit. And as we speak, we speak from the overflow of the Spirit. And that coupled with the incredible life-changing transformational message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that is the making, through that is the making of a disciple. That's what you do. Conversation. That's what we see Jesus did. So now I want us to look deeper into Jesus' conversation with this woman. We're going to learn, well, how did, how did he do that? I'm kind of intimidated by the whole idea of that. 
let's jump in and look at, we might could call these like the stages of this conversation, okay? Chapter 4 in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Step number one, and, and I, I didn't come up with like real cool, succinct points. I just got these long sentences that are complicated. To Remember, I don't even have the slides for them, so there you go. Step number one, start with something you have in common to build a bridge. That's kind of like in our life groups, we call these icebreakers. You don't start out your life groups going, okay, raise your hand if you're a sinner and you need to change your life. You don't start out like that in a life group. Everybody's going to kind of close up. How can I open this up for discussion? And so Jesus had something in common with this woman. They're at a well. They're, they're thirsty. And so he spoke and began the conversation with something they have in common. It could be many things you have in common. As a matter of fact, I, I, I thought of something. Is Baruch in here today? Did he step out? I need Baruch and Julie in here. I'm just going to have to do this without them. And next time you miss church, this could happen to you too, okay? <laughs> It could be something as simple as the clothes that you wear, like your socks, all right? Brooke and Julie gave me these socks last week, and they say on them, I love Jesus with a heart. So you meet someone, you say, hey, you like my socks? Boom, you got a conversation. Brooke and Julie, you missed it. Where were you? But it, it really it can be something as simple. Everybody has the weather in common with other people, right? You can start out the conversation there. It can be about your children or their children. It can be about your dog. I saw my neighbor this morning that I haven't talked to before, and I was thinking about what I'm going to be telling you, and there was his dog. And so I made a comment about his dog because I thought, I need to practice what I'm preaching. And he actually came to church this morning, and he's going to be baptized after service. No, actually, that's not true, but I did talk to him. <laughs> Doesn't happen that fast. He's like, seriously, I'm going to try that. It could be about the Broncos game. It could be, listen, it could be we started a conversation with our neighbors behind our property here because someone drove through our fence and down into their property and Sarah and I went to mint them, really not about the fence, but because we wanted, we got a common ground to talk to them about. We've been inviting a neighbor over here to this side because we have something in common with them. We have people on our property going crazy in our parking lot. And so we've developed a relationship with our neighbor trying to, to reach out to them. And you might be going, you might be going, well, that sounds kind of um, manipulative and insincere because, Eddie, you, you want to talk to somebody about this, but you don't tell them up front you're going to talk to them about this. You kind of come at them from this angle. That's not really, that's like a hidden agenda. Let me tell you, let me tell you what is not sincere. To believe what you say you believe about Jesus and never talk to people about Jesus. Now, you want to talk about a hidden agenda there it is. So what we see Jesus doing here, he's just being wise and starting a conversation. Imagine Jesus starting out with this woman in this way. Hmm, I can see that you're a very immoral woman living with a guy outside of marriage. And I'm a preacher and I'm here to get you right with God. How's that going to work? She's probably going to be out of there, right? Was she a woman living in sin outside of the will of God? Yeah. Was he a preacher there to help her get right with God? Yeah. 
But he started out the conversation by asking her, will you give me a drink? And the bridge was built. Hey, here's, here's a whole other sermon. I'm just going to say, I wish I had time to talk about it, but I'm not. Notice what Jesus does. One of the, by his example, one of the greatest ways to help someone else is to ask them to help you. You would think Jesus would say, let me do this. I'm the guy. I'm the son of God. Let me get. He asked her to give him a drink. Just give that a try. Stew on that for a little bit. So as God brings someone, and I believe he does it. I believe this was a divine encounter. As God does this in your life, you're starting to think, what do we have in common? How can I start? That's what Jesus said. Then step number two, let's start verse nine. Jesus answered her. No, verse nine. The, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as he did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But... Er, but Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You see what he did? He went beyond the icebreaker, beyond the bridge, and now he's leading the conversation into a spiritual discussion. And that's kind of like where... For most of us, we don't get to that step. It's not as difficult to say, man, what about the Broncos? Or isn't it beautiful today? Your dog, I just love your dog. What kind of dog is that? We do that. We do that pretty well. But some of us likely have been talking to our neighbors about their yards, their dogs, and their fences for years. But have yet to speak to them about Christ. Maybe we're hoping they'll say something eventually or ask. If not, then we don't want to be pressuring or pushing. And so here's the challenge here with this is to take it to the next level of leading to a spiritual discussion. Jesus took the common ground of water and he used it as a bridge to speak to her about living water and the need for eternal life. And listen, we have a grand opportunity every Monday to do this. It's like this is the easiest thing in the world. Tomorrow on Monday, you see somebody, you talk to somebody, and you just go like this. What would you do this weekend? <laughs> What did you do yesterday? And the conversation starts and all of a sudden they're asking you what you did yesterday. And all of a sudden you say, oh, I went to church. And where do you go to church? And then the conversation isn't engaged. Are you, are you, are you ever hiking? Like if you're in Colorado, you are, of course. You meet someone on a trail. It happens all the time. And it's like, beautiful out here, isn't it? That's a good starter. Oh, isn't God amazing? Isn't God amazing? How can you not believe all of a sudden you've got this conversation? A spiritual conversation begins. Jesus starts with asking a drink, and the next thing you know, he leads it to speaking about living water. And I just want to throw this in again. Um, he says it in verse 14, and he speaks about eternal life. 
That's what this is about. We have to understand our objective here is not simply to affect social change in our world. This is about eternal life. There's a whole lot at stake. And so you, you've got to be thinking about every person, the man I saw, the two men I passed on the trail this morning, walking Valley and Theo, they're going to step from this life into eternal life with God or eternal death without God. And in this moment, God has put me on that path and have an opportunity to make a difference for eternity. And so I start out, will you give me a drink? Oh, let me tell you about living water. Verse 16, this next day, and this one's hard. This is the one like, oh, I don't want to do this one. I'm not doing this one. Um, like if somebody's going to get mad at you, if they're going to walk away and say, dude, do not say another thing to me. It's going to be right here. You're taking a big risk here. And if there's anything not politically correct, this is not. But you got to go here. Verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, well, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. It's awkward. It's awkward at this point. Jesus now leads the conversation from building a bridge, from leading it to a spiritual discussion. And now he's digging deeper into her heart, helping her come to a a realization, a self-realization, a self-awareness of her sin. I'd love to say even more so, as we looked at last week, of her thirst, as we've been worshiping with that theme today, of her thirst for God. And that, 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 that's kind of hard, that part, don't you think? It kind of takes courage. And, and I thought of it like this. It kind of takes courage in the same way that it takes courage for a for a doctor to say, well, I can't tell them they have cancer. No, you, you got to. <laughs> if you're a doctor, like if my doctor is trying to convince me to have chemotherapy and radiation, I'm not doing it, not unless he first really convinces me that I have a need. And I said, well, this is not the very politically correct section of Jesus' conversation. And what I meant by that is that our, our culture and I'm afraid to say even our church culture is telling us, you don't talk about this right here. The S word, you don't talk about sin. It seems as though in our culture and even in our church culture, we're losing our sense of moral bearings. And especially when it comes down to what was going on in this woman's life, areas of sexual immorality. We're losing a sense of that. And it's like whatever's right and wrong is what I feel instead of what God's word says. And the trend now is don't do what you see here with Jesus. Let's not touch the topic of sin because you don't want to make her feel uncomfortable. You want to come across, you don't want, this, this comes across as, um, as, as intolerant. And unloving and lacking in compassion. But this is compassion. 
for Jesus not to go to this step with this woman would have been unloving to let her continue on in the destructive ways of her life without hope. And I love the way he does it. Lovingly. There's no harshness here. This is not. The fact is, you've had five husbands. The man you have is not your husband. No, that's not Jesus. So gentle and so loving. Helping her see her thirst. You may tell you the best way, the best way to do this, one of the best ways to get someone to open up about the sin in their life is you start first. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're relaxed because they realize he's a lot like me. We even have that advantage over Jesus. He couldn't do that. But we can. That's one thing we have over Jesus. We can talk about the sin in our life and help someone feel a little bit more comfortable at talking the sin in their life. But now, that's it. he started with this bridge. He led it to a spiritual discussion. Then he went deeper in his self-realization of her sin. But he didn't stop there. You can't stop there. You can't say, and you are a sinner, and that's really bad. <laughs> he goes to the well, he goes to the next step, but then there's one other element here you, you have to see. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Isn't that funny? They were just talking about the man you're living with, and she says, I can see that you're a prophet. Um, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what we, you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Oh, there's so much here in your life groups or at home. You've got to work on all this. I don't have time for all this. There's a lot here. A time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father is seeks God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth real important element in the conversation and I don't know how to say it in a very short succinct way I'll say it like this Jesus maintained the focus of the conversation not allowing it to be sidetracked it happens all the time in this world of conversation about faith here specifically he didn't allow it to become a discussion about a conversation about well let's talk about what's different about your church as compared to mine and there was a lot to talk about here. She said, uh, let's go here in this conversation. Let's not talk about me anymore. I could spend an hour right now talking to you about the Samaritans and the Jews and the history and the differences and the racial hatred and the differences in they worshipped it on Mount Gerizim and they worship in Jerusalem and all of that. And this woman is trying to derail that conversation. Can we just go there? Jesus wouldn't let that happen. But it happens all the time. You'll be talking to someone and they'll go, Oh, 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 are you that church? Y'all the ones that don't use, use instrumental music, right? Or, just, oh, that's the church we have, the school. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you're not talking about Christ and their need for Christ. You're talking about whether you should have communion once a month or once a week. Or whether or not you should have a guitar or not. Or, 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 or all whatever issues it may. No, maybe those things are important to talk about. But Jesus, he did it with Nicodemus in chapter 3. He does it here with this woman. She said, let's talk about Jacob's well. No, let's go back to this. Let's talk about your church and my church. Jesus keeps a laser focus on helping bring her to the final point of the conversation, the most important. This is the goal where you want to go. Verse 25, final stage of the conversation. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everyone, everything to us. Oh, 
Jesus. Let's talk about that. As a matter of fact, Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. That's where you want to go. And here's why. You can't make a disciple, you. You can't change lives. So what you got to do here, you got to engage them in a conversation to get them to the person who can. And that's Christ Jesus and the transformational power of the story of the gospel. There is something about telling the message of Jesus that makes a difference. And so what we're going to do next week in part three of this series as Jesus is kind of reminiscing and looking back on it, we're going to look at the example of this woman. And I'm going to show you how this woman brought her town to Christ. All I want us to hear today is an example of Jesus. It begins with a conversation. Conversational evangelism. Let me just challenge you. Think about that this week. And pray that God will give you, not the opportunities. Oh, they're there, right? That you'll take them and be courageous to enter into them. So as I was traveling back from South Dakota after being on the reservation, like I was starting to feel really bad about things with Bill. I was starting to think of how badly I had ended things. And it was this story that came to mind. And maybe it was the spirit that brought this story to mind. And I realized that the things which caused me to disengage in my conversation with Bill were the very things that caused Jesus to engage in conversations with this Samaritan woman. And the, the words of Jesus then came to mind. And you know the story where you got these religious stuck-up churchgoers, you could call them. And they're sitting there looking at Jesus eating dinner with some people he shouldn't have been hanging out with. And they're sitting there going, what are you doing hanging out with these people? You're just affirming and condoning their activity. Jesus said, well, where do you expect a doctor to be? Really? In the emergency room where people are bloody and messed up. It's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick and then I all of a sudden realize what do you expect of Bill Eddie what do you expect what I saw in Bill which had caused me to draw away from thinking he's not into this he's not interested he's just playing me were signs of his inner thirst and his need for Christ God had brought someone into my path to reach out to to speak to and I just just blew it So about a month after stewing over all this, I called up Bill. And I said, Bill, I need to explain to you why I never got back to you about us studying and talking more as we had arranged. And I apologized to him for not treating him as Jesus would have had me treat him. Okay, yeah, so he was shocked. <laughs> and he was gracious. And from that point forward, we've re-established our conversation through phone and texting. It was not a random coincidence that Jesus met this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well and engaged her in conversation. It was a divine encounter. It was a divine conversation. It is not a random coincidence that your path crosses the paths of others in the common places of our city. 
in the routine affairs of your daily life. And so if there's a moral to the story, (laughs) don't be like Eddie. (laughs) Be like Jesus. That's, That's what a disciple is. Follow Jesus outside the walls of this building in our homes and into the world of broken and thirsty people and engage people in conversations whom God places in your path, sharing within the living water of Jesus, it could change a life and it could make a difference in someone's life for eternity. Let's stand together and pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, embed this story deeply into our hearts. And and activate it that we may live it out as we walk out of this building today. As you spoke to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, you speak to us. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so we commit to following you. And we ask you to make of us what we can't make of ourselves. Make us fishers of men. God, make us sensitive to those around us. Help us recognize moments of your leading. Oh God, give me, give us courage and wisdom and leading to speak the words of living water to a thirsty world. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. Like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.